Welcome back to Scuttlebutt. I'm Nick. I'm here with Vic. Hey. I'm here with William. Howdy. And today we got a special episode. We've got a documentarian on the show, Stephen Canty. William, you interviewed the man. What can you tell us? Uh, Stephen Canty was a Marine who served in um, Charlie Company, I believe, uh, 1st Battalion, 6th Marines. I wrote that down to make sure. Uh, yep. And the film he made is called Once a Marine. It is available for streaming on Amazon Prime. Uh, always has been, always will be. And he's he's a... I be, so I watched this film om, almost a year ago. Uh, I was scrolling on r slash documentary on Reddit. And then he's like this... I see a post like, hey, here's a documentary I made. I'm like, oh, that's kind of weird and strange. No one... I haven't seen many <laughs> yeah. directors post like what their <laughs> yeah, own yeah. product on a forum. And I was like, okay. It was like, oh, it's Once a Marine. Like, I work for the Marine Corps Association. My parents are Marines. That's pretty cool and interesting. So I, I checked it out. And then... And then I, f- I finished the film. I was just at, like emotionally drained. It was an incredibly made, well done film that I just happened to stumble upon. And I saw the comments from the post being like, "Hey, you know, if if you have a mar- no Marines or no anyone who's able to share this, please do." So I'm like, "Well, I know happen to know a Marine or two, and I happen to work <laughs> for an association that you know knows Marine or two. So I reached out to him." Uh, I did an interview that we that we published for uh, Leatherneck, which is uh, in publication. Uh, so you can, you can go check that out. And then we decided to bring him on for the podcast to help uh, plug his film more. Yeah, yeah. I'll say like when you first uh, presented this to me, I was really interested. And then as I started reading or watching it, like I'd say the first like fifteen minutes, I was a little skeptical because I'm like, oh, this is like. Just the there I was sort of exactly like account of what's happening, and then it takes a turn, man. Exactly, because like, <laughs> yeah. I, I I I watch this stuff for my own uh, entertainment and education. I use I, I I for me personally, Don, I wanted to say like I'm watching just like people kill each other for fun. No, I, for me, entertainment education is one at this point <laughs> in my life. I just want to like clarify that. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting to see like the like visual history. So like, I was the same way. I'm like, okay, this is going to be like another sort of generic, you know? Yeah. Like I was there, but yeah, he, he flips it 180 incredibly well. And like, it, then you kind of realize, Oh, this is the point. And I think because he had that access to all that great, that great footage. Um, and the you, footage it, is fantastic. It's, it's, just... it's incredible. It's incredible. They, like, well, then I, also having been a Marine with that unit. Mm-hmm, so, yeah. I mean, that gives him a, a a much more, I don't know, like tactile sort of experience. And then, obviously, I think it opens up a lot of doors as well. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, again, like, so I, I was, I was, but coming out of that film, I was like, like, how, like, he, he also, like, he, he went to college for a little bit, but, like, he, like, he basically made this, like, as, like, a pet project. Like, and it, it took him several years to do like refining the process and get it down to exactly where he wanted it to be and like and and then it's just it's an incredible work of art on top of just being a great documentary yeah it oozes authenticity yeah agreed um you'll you'll see a lot of documentaries that feel like they are very the effort is there to skew your perception Mm. um a lot of the most famous ones are just notoriously like terrible about that you know like Supersize me. Have a very uh, or, clear uh, agenda. Yeah, the, the agenda is there, and you know what it <laughs> is from because I tell you what the agenda is before they ever start, and then they're like, and now now that I told you my biases, now let's uh, pretend I'm unbiased. Yeah, let's see how it plays out. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> his, his his objective changed 
um, as he was making the film at first, yeah. he's like, I just want to like have like interview my guys and like talk about how much it sucks to be home. And then you know after doing a couple of interviews, he's like, oh, I've stumbled onto something completely different. Mm-hmm. So he took like he almost like you know took the footage that he got and like the interviews he got, and then just kept redefining the process as time went on. And 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 for for those who uh, who have not seen the documentary, it's 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 a great resource I think not only for um, veterans to find out ways to talk about experiences, but like show this to your civilian friends or family or et cetera who have no idea what um, war, let alone like the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq were like, and just to, to get an understanding of, of of how to communicate and actually have productive and helpful conversations with our veterans because that's something having been through civilian and having tons of civilian friends and it's it's. Not that we're all idiots. It's just like we just don't know how to approach the subject with people. We want to be helpful. We want to obviously have our, our like our veterans enjoy being part of civilian society again. It's just difficult, especially from when we have just no inkling of a what they've been through, what they saw, and then b what they're currently experiencing. Well, we're starting to step a little bit onto what you actually talked about with Stephen. So mm-hmm. let's. Uh... Unless you have anything you want to add, we just want to let Pass Will take uh, it away. Watch the film. Uh, go on uh, Amazon Prime. If you do watch the film, leave a comment because that's always important. Share this with all everyone you've ever met in your life because <laughs> they probably could learn a thing or two from watching this film and then tell them to comment on it as well. And then if you really liked it and you want to support Steven, then buy it on Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that way he can get a little extra to help him in any future endeavors. Yep. Absolutely. So. All right. You guys good? Yeah. All right. Let's uh, take it away past Will and Steven. Enjoy it. Hello, Scuttlebutt listeners. Today I have a uh, wonderful guest here. His name is Steven Canty. He's the director, producer, editor, creator, overall god of the uh, documentary film Once a Marine, which is available for streaming on Amazon Prime. And he is here today to talk about his film and his uh, experiences overall. So, uh, Steven, nice to uh, talk to you again. Yeah, thanks for having me. Cool. So if you don't mind just uh, giving the uh, viewers and listeners uh, just some uh, background information on who you are. Yeah, um, I'm a director and filmmaker and a former Marine. Uh, I was a Marine infantryman from 2007 to 2011. And I did two tours in Afghanistan. And uh, when I got back, I noticed that I wasn't the same person I was when I left. And I wanted to know why. And that journey kind of set set uh, me on a path that would lead me to making Once a Marine a uh, documentary about going to war and coming home and how that affects you. And uh, here we are today. Cool. So if you don't mind uh, providing some a bit um, context, like when did you start uh, doing the uh, production of the film? Well, I've been out for like two, two years when I first started. And... Uh, you know, I kind of joined the Marine Corps because I didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up, so to speak. And when I got out of the Marine Corps, I still had the same problem. And I kind of fell into filmmaking, which uh, is hard to do when you're just out of the Marines. You don't have a lot of friends. You know, I wasn't in any film programs in school. You know, I was going to community college and working in a warehouse. And I just felt this kind of uh, this feeling of. I don't know, it was like being uncomfortable constantly. Uh, I felt like I'd returned to this world that wasn't the same place that I had left or, and I couldn't figure that out. So, um, I had taken a lot of photographs when I was in the Marine Corps and kind of got hooked on photographing things. And I ended up with a camera that could take video. And the more I played with the camera, the more I became interested in video. And then I one day decided, man, 
I'd really like to make a film, but not having a lot of friends and those resources, I kind of turned to the Marines that I'd served with and said, Hey, let's just make a film. And at the time I was kind of that angsty, fresh out of the core Marine. It's like, Oh, fuck everybody and fuck civilians. And so that's kind of what the original goal was. It's like, let's just talk about how hard it is to find a job and how people kind of suck and this, that, and the other. And uh, I asked a buddy of mine with that storyline in mind to come down and sit down for an interview. And what I got was a lot more emotionally honest and in depth than that. And that kind of kicked off what became once a Marine. And the more I started talking to guys that I had served with, the more I realized they each had a piece of the puzzle as to why we were different and why we felt different in these interviews. And uh, it took me several years of conducting interviews before I got to a point where I could even start to put something like a trailer together. And then once I had that, I knew that making films and particularly making once a Marine was something that I was committed to and dropped out of college and started a Kickstarter and uh, went about making the film full time and was able to raise some money and travel and get some footage of, you know, people's graves and various people, you know, Marines in their home environment and conduct interviews with people uh, like the mother of a Marine that had uh, died when we got home uh, that maybe I wouldn't have been able to interview. And once I had all that stuff, I realized that I had, you know, 10, 12 hours of interview footage of something very different than this kind of angsty, I hate civilians kind of film. It was a, a real emotionally honest, in-depth look at like why we were different and what had really changed with us. And then I had to edit it all together and put that together. And that was kind of a bear of a task to go through something and figure out why you're different and then figure out how to explain that to people using these interviews that you've recorded. And since I'm entirely self-taught when it came to film, besides like YouTube videos and stuff, it was a process of learning how to make a film, learning how to come back from war and learning how to explain what I was going through to, to other people. So it took me seven years to make Once a Marine. I finally released it in 2020, uh, November, 2020. And I'd started in, uh, I wanna say May of 2013. So it wasn't easy to figure it out. And I don't claim to have any answers, but I think the film uh, is unique in war documentaries in that it talks about uh, kind of deeper things. And we went there, we did this, we saw this, and we came home. It talks about how how people came home from that and, and how they go from being a killer and a Marine infantryman located close with and destroyed to being a father or a bill payer or whatever. And that was particularly difficult uh, transition for a lot of us to make. And um, so, yeah, that's that's how kind of Once Marine came about. I kind of fell into it and um, just really, you know, it was a long process. But I think for anybody that's seen it or checks it out, I think you'll kind of agree that these guys that helped me make it were telling their truth, you know. So. I mean, as, as, as you mentioned, this documentary is pretty much all the fellow Marines you served with. How was it like for them in the uh, the filming process, especially because a, a lot of them are very candid and open up immediately? How how comfortable was it for them? Uh, and and also, like, how have they reacted also since because your, your film's been out for almost a year, a year now to the um, 
to having obviously tons of people see it by this point? Well, I mean, when they um, when they did their interviews, it was I think a lot of guys came to the interview as a friend and they were doing it to help me, not because they particularly wanted to talk. And then when they got there, they kind of had ideas about what they were going to say. But each of the interviews is like two or three hours. And we're drinking beer. I mean, one's at two in the morning or three in the morning. Um, some are in my apartment. Some are at people's houses. So they start to open up over time. And I think a lot of the guys, when I first interviewed them, hadn't talked about it really like that with anybody. Um, and they said a lot of things that maybe they were surprised that they said or felt uncomfortable about. I mean, I had guys afterwards that were like, man, I really wish I didn't say that shit. But they had seven years to kind of get used to the idea that they were of what they had said and before the film finally came out. And when it finally did come out, I think a lot of guys saw, well, I don't like the fact that I like cried or I didn't like the fact that, you know, this or that happened. But they saw the response that other Marines were giving them and being like, hey, dude, I'll feel the same way and all this stuff. And I think that made it a little bit easier to be kind of that pioneer, you know, because in some cases, I, you know, when I got out, and I think a lot of Marines do this, they don't talk to any of their boys for like a year, two years, for a long time. Because for me personally, I was trying to avoid, avoid things and say, you know, like, it wasn't a strategy that I had written or anywhere, but it was like, oh, you know, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. And um, so you didn't really talk to anybody. You didn't talk to your boys. And years went by. And the film, when I asked these guys to do interviews, some of them was like, we really hadn't talked that much. And then they drove, you know, one of them drove down. The first guy drove down from New Jersey to Virginia to sit down and talk with me for three hours. And we hung out for a day or two and then he left. And then you know, another guy from New York, another from Florida. I had a buddy of mine drive all the way from Florida, sit down for the interview, talk for two or three hours while his girlfriend sat in, in my back office. Like, she didn't want to listen. And then he talks, gets back in the car to drive to Florida and goes, hey, man, thanks for letting me talk about that. And I was like, well, thanks for doing 32 hours of driving and, you know what I mean, like, coming up and doing that. But that was kind of where we all were. And... I think as because it took so long, we all grew to become more comfortable with, you know, showing that or expressing the things that we did in the film or they did. And uh, yeah, so they got time to kind of get adjusted to what they had said. But I mean, I just think that that's what separates Once a Marine from a lot of other war films is you'll see other films that come close, you know, like Korngal is a similar format, but they don't quite open up the way that these guys did with with me because I was there with them. So there's an emotional honesty of like um, people just saying, saying how shit was without holding anything back. But that also made the film really hard to make because guys would say like, yeah, dude, remember when we were in Garmser? And the audience is going like, what's Garmser? What? They don't, there was no exposition. No one said like, in 2008, we went to, you know, southern Afghanistan. They, it was just, everything was shorthand. So I had to figure out how to take these, you know, 10, 12 hours of footage and then combine it in a way like a house of cards so that people could understand what we were talking about because it was really just a conversation for us that I filmed. Um, 
And that's kind of what made Monster Marine, you know, unique. I don't know. It's even hard for me to talk about. Uh, you know, I didn't go to people's funerals when I got back. And, you know, we lost a couple guys and I didn't go because I didn't tell myself like, well, I don't want to talk about it. I want to avoid it. It was just like a subconscious thing. I was like, no, I'm fine. I don't need to go up there and I'm good here. And uh, that's what's made the film really hard for me even to promote it. Like, I don't have any ads. I don't, this is one of the few kind of uh, pieces of talking about it that I've done because it's so wound up with my own experience that it's hard for me to be like, hey, why don't you guys, uh, I want to promote this film where some of my friends die in it. And I want you guys to see that. Or I want you to promote um, where you see some of my friends really hurt and in pain. And I, you know, I don't, I wanted to make this to explain it to people, but I didn't want to make it to sell. And I've found that the, you know, marketing aspect and all of it that I'm doing now, or well, I'm not really doing, because I just don't, it's so hard to talk about. And I think a lot of Marines that have gone to combat will understand that. And once a Marine was developed as a kind of a way of like a shorthand, like in an hour, you could kind of explain to your wife a little bit by watching this with her, instead of having this long, drawn out, painful conversation that hurts to talk about, it hurts to think about, you know, it's, um, yeah, and even to this day, it's it's a weird mix of like emailing press outlets and be like, hey, you should check out my film. But also, you know, I visited a mother of a Marine that had died in Afghanistan and she gave me his wedding tape um, right before we left. She, Smitty got married uh, and then he got killed in Afghanistan within like a week of us getting there and then buried in the same church like a month after he just got married there. And she gives me the tapes for his wedding, his funeral, and his memorial service in Afghanistan and says, I want you to put these in the film. And I didn't want to put them in the film. I mean, out of respect, but it, then when she's like, I want you to put these in the film, I didn't even want to watch them. And then to watch them over and over and over again. But I wanted people to understand, you know, this is kind of what that experience, what you go through. And if I didn't watch those tapes over and over and over, I couldn't explain that. Um, so, and then when you have somebody's mom saying, hey, this is what I want uh, to honor my son, it, it's, it's really hard between telling a story in a way that, um, I don't know, telling a story in a way that you're, you're open, but you're, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That's, no, no, that's what I'm talking about. It's just hard to hard to even, you know, talk about sometimes. Oh, but, uh, com completely, totally. Uh, so talk. Um, you mentioned obviously this. This is your experiences, and you really don't you don't appear too much in the documentary. I think you have like maybe two or three cameo appearances where it's like you're setting up or something, or you're like in a picture. How how much of this do you feel is your story, and how much agency do you feel you have in this versus do you feel like it's driven less by you and more by uh, those you served with? Does that, if that makes sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, there's like a, I read somewhere, somebody said something, um, like nowadays in modern society does the, does the act of wanting a picture inform the photograph itself? Like, do you take a picture of something to show that you were there or do you take a picture of something to show, I, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, 
what of our behavior is motivated to show others. And I guess like the film is hard because I'm not really in it, but at the same time, all the guys that I interviewed were the some of my closest friends. And there's little snippets of like very personal stories. Like uh, one of the guys in the film talks about shooting somebody that he finds out was later blind and deaf. And you can just barely hear me as we're inter me and another buddy as we're interviewing him say, yeah, we had to go pick up that body. And he says, yeah, man, and I feel bad for that. And, it, you know, most people would miss that. But already I felt like that was, you know, that's, that's my story in there, you know, mixed intertwined. And I honestly didn't know that my friend had shot this, you know, old man that turned out to be blind and deaf. We had to go up there with the sun and pick up his body that had been laid in the sun for a while. And I never knew that my friend was the guy that shot him until I did these interviews. So it's all kind of intertwined for me personally. Maybe the audience doesn't pick up on some of it, but a lot of it's there. And, you know, all the guys I interviewed, I interviewed them because I kind of knew what to ask them because we were close. But I try to keep myself out of the film because, I don't know, I almost felt like it was lazy filmmaking. Because I had all these holes when I first started and these gaps that I couldn't fill. Like, how do I explain to the audience that we did two deployments? And I was like, well, I can record myself being like, in 2008, we went. And I was like, that just to me felt a little lazy. So I wanted to build this story that if you look, I'm behind it and I'm in it. But I didn't want to make myself central to it, if that makes sense. I didn't want to make it about me, but at the same time, it's very much about me. So, you know. Um, yeah, I hope that answers your question. No, absolutely. So you mentioned um, how your film's different from a lot of military documentaries. Uh, so like, uh, for example, like I, I'm one of the people who was definitely, you know, I liked, was a doc, I am, especially was, was a documentary junkie, especially during COVID. And, you yeah. know, I, it's, and a lot of people are, are watching these for entertainment or education. I like to think it's a healthy doses of, of both. Um, what type of, of target audience were you going for when you when you made this very obviously very personal documentary? I mean, you see the title card. It's, the the film the the name of the film is pretty um, ambiguous. Once a Marine, it's obviously something to do with Marine Corps. It's obviously something to do with um, global war on terrorism because I think the title the the uh, the image card you see is um, is overseas. Who 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 were you? I guess were you were you aiming this this film at? Um. I don't know, mostly it's aimed at my 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 friends and their families in in the sense when I when I was making it. Of course I hope that you know, I hope that everyone would see it and maybe have an opportunity to understand and the people that wanted to, you know, could glean something from it. Um but when I was making Once Marine, like the biggest challenge that I had or what I found like constantly difficult is like all right, as a filmmaker let's say somebody cries during an interview. There's a part of you, almost like a predatory part, that's like, oh yeah, real emotion. Like, look at him cry. You know, but these are like my closest friends. Like, and I was seeing their pain and it felt it. So it was like this weird mix of like wanting to show those things, but not in a way that cheapened what they were going through. I wanted to respect them, even when I was showing things that they maybe didn't want in the final product, right? So I wanted, I wanted the guys that I went to war with to be comfortable with this. And that was kind of my main goal constantly is like, is it honest to our experience 
through those guys? Like, would they say, yep, that's what I went through? Or be like, eh, well, he kind of messed this up and he didn't really tell this part right. That was my goal all along. I hoped it would find a, a bigger audience, but I wanted to make a film that guys that went through combat could stand by um, and be like, yeah, that's, that's my experience. But I also wanted it to speak to their wife, maybe, and kids. Um, you know, my granddad was in the, my granddad was a Marine in the Pacific. And I didn't find out until after he passed. Uh, he always just told me funny stories about being in a war, which my granddad was like one of the only guys I ever met that could do that. Um, you know, blowing up a Japanese officer's car that the Marine officers had taken and were driving around and he blows it up. Uh, and then they all come running out and he goes, oh, I thought it was a Jap car. Sorry, sir. You know, like, but he knew that it was their car. But like when I, he passed, we were at his funeral and a guy comes up to me and says, hey, you know what your grandfather went through in the Pacific? And I said, eh, not really. And he's like, he was an artillery scout. He got separated from his unit and then spent 30 days sleeping under the dead, sleeping under dead or hiding under dead Japanese and dead Americans to try and get back to his unit. So 30 days cut off behind enemy lines. Um, and he says, your grandfather went from 140 pounds down to not, like just under 100. And he's like, that's why your grandfather never eat, ate pork chops. Because when he finally got back, he ate 13 pork chops and then puked them up everywhere. And I, I was like, I didn't even know that he didn't eat pork chops. Um, but he had never told that to me or my brother, who are both Marines, my, my dad. And... It, there was so much of his experience that he'd gone through that I never knew. And I wanted once Marine as a way, I don't know, just give people a glimpse into that reality. Uh, and I never went through anything anywhere near that. But um, yeah, I, I think a lot of war documentaries were like, and I loved them, especially as a kid before I joined, it was like, you know, seeing all this old footage and all these guys that were, you know, heroes. I mean, I looked up to them all and whether Vietnam or World War II, um, even like maybe Peter Jackson with the World War One documentary, all, all this stuff. You're like, whoa, dude, these guys are real badasses. But as I got out, I kind of realized there was more to being a badass than just going over there and, and doing stuff because it meant you actually had to do stuff. Maybe you're the camera crew comes around you talk about how oh well, the shoot i've seen and your boys would be like that guy didn't do it. you know like that guy was at the fob the whole time so and then to see these guys and watch marine like they're badass in the sense that they came came like one of my friends in the film starts to cry and i was like trying to cut the interview to be like hey man you know you don't have to put that in there i was gonna hang on we can take a break and he goes hold on dude i want to say this and it was like, that's a fucking badass to me. Somebody that's like, I know I'm crying. I know that some people might think I look like a bitch, but I'm, I'm not at all because I actually have the strength to, I don't know. I have the strength to tell people that I'm hurting. Like that to me was just, you know, Korngall, I met Sebastian Younger and he's a really awesome guy. And Restrepo is great, tells a, an incredible story. The footage is amazing. Korngall has some great footage and, you know, it's kind of an after action report on Restrepo, but you'd see these guys, they'd be like, you know, when I got back, it was, I just, 
it's hard to talk about. And then that would be the end of it. Like they would kind of choke themselves off. Um, so I wanted a bunch of guys that would never talk to people about this, barely talk to their wives and families and all stuff to really open up for just an hour. And uh, I think that's what Wonder Marine accomplishes. And I didn't set out to make that film at all. I set out to make it like, you know, any other war documentary. But what I ended up with when I started interviewing these guys was not any other war documentary. So, um, and that was hard for me because I had to work on this every day. And I really had, a, I mean, I had a hard time looking at it. You know, I'd have like a beer at like nine in the morning if I was going to be working on this. To take the edge off, I always said, you know, and it was like, because I'm staring at this part of my life that up until then, I'd rather just kind of tell myself, I'm good, I'm good, just keep, you know, the Marine Corps is very much like, keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing, which is great when you're in combat and stuff. Um, or, you know, you don't want to fall out of a hike and get a rectal thermometer. So you want to just keep pushing, even if your feet are bleeding, every, your whole body's screaming at you. But there's certain points in your life, especially when you come back from that, where you kind of need to take your boots off and air your feet out, if that makes sense. And uh, I wasn't ready to do that. And the film kind of forced me to do that, you know, and, and seeing these guys, uh, I mean, I didn't expect it myself. And, you know, they're some of my best friends. So uh, it just ended up being a totally different thing. Uh, and I'm happy that it did. So I guess my audience, I had a friend of mine once say to me, man, let's watch this documentary. I was like on farm tractors or something. I was like, man, I don't give a shit about that. And he says, well, that's the mark of a good documentary. I like to watch things about subjects I don't care anything about. And he's like, if at the end of it, I'm a little interested in it, then it was a good documentary. And I always kind of use that as a metric for once a Marine. It was like, yeah, a lot of people, you know, back in World War II, you came home, you're a hero, Vietnam, you came home, they you know, spit on you and shit. And nowadays you come home and nobody really cares, which, hey, I took that more than being spit on. Um, and I respect the guys that paved that path for us, but there's a kind of willful ignorance about a 20 year war that's been going on that I came back from Marja and Ben Anderson as a filmmaker for Vice had made the battle for Marja and I didn't have HBO. So I had to watch it with some of my like high school friends who are now in a frat. So I go to this frat house to watch this documentary from some shit that I had just come back from three months earlier. And all these, these frat bros are sitting there and they're nice guys, but they're all sitting there. The film ends and they go, damn dude. So like, were you in the Marines or something? You know? And I was like, yeah, dude, I was there. And they were like, but I mean, like you were there, there or, or like in that battle, like people just couldn't, there's such a disconnect between this war that's been going on and the fact that people will go out there and fight it, you know? And uh, I don't really get butthurt that people don't care, but if you want to a look, you want to peek into the window, then watch Once Marine. Um, if it's not your cup of tea, cool. Uh, you know, but for me, uh, that's kind of my way of measuring how much you want to learn or know. No, I mean, so something I guess that's, I guess, come as a result of your documentary. You had your, obviously your target audience. This was like for your friends. You made this for yourself. But you're going to obviously out, outreach to a lot of people, especially, you know, from my generation who know very little. I mean, even I'm learning tons of new stuff about like my family members or uh, just about like the, the war in Afghanistan and Iraq as a whole. 
just because it's not like in the old days where, you know, you go to the movie theater and you would see an hour of government news footage. Like my grandma's generation, they, they knew all the islands, they knew all the landings, they knew yeah. they had good, they had a good idea of what was going on. And that just isn't there now for, for good and bad reasons. Um, yeah. You could argue. So how do you feel, I guess, that your film touches on uh, this weird civilian military relationship and both a understanding what uh, our veterans are going through b understanding uh what is actually happening in the global war on terrorism or even with just like american militarism as a whole even how do you feel uh i guess like that your film opens a discussion between um people who this has impacted their life strongly versus it's been either totally peripheral or even not on the, the table for a lot of these people? Huh. I mean, that's a, that's a good question. I guess, like in, a, in an earlier cut of the film, the film ends and uh, there's like sad music at the, at, at the end. And we watched at the five-year mark reunion in 2015. And one of my buddies says to me, I like the film, but I didn't like the ending because I don't want people walking away pitying us. He's like, you got to put one more thing of combat in there, one more badass song to like lift the audience up before they leave. And I realized like, man, he's right. Because I don't want people to pity us. I also want them to be like, hey man, like, yeah, they paid the cost. Like they went on to some really badass stuff. Like being in a war is fucking badass. It is cool as shit. I mean, it is like all the games you played as a kid made real. Now it's fucking also tragic and disgusting and horrifying and all these things. But it's the best and worst of humanity on display. I mean, your boy's shot and bleeding out in the middle of the field and you see guys run out knowing that they might get killed to grab him and pull him back. Those moments are beautiful, you know, like, wow, geez. People would like give up their own life for other people. And you see the most disgusting moments, you know? I mean, the Bacha Bazi over there, you know, people uh, just, I'd rather not get into the disgusting stuff because it'll start pissing me off. But like everybody, you know, and so you go through war and it's like super badass, but then there's this kind of narrative now, like nobody knew really about PTSD and it didn't enter the cultural zeitgeist for a long time. And now you see it in like Law and Order SVU and every TV show. And it's like this kind of character trope of like, the you know, the damaged troubled veteran. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm like kind of glad that media is coming around to it. But on the other hand, it's, you get kind of painted in this box. So once a Marine is a way to show that like, hey, yeah, there's, people that we love, that we lost. There's horrible things that we saw, but we also saw beautiful things, humanity at their finest. We did badass stuff, you know, it's, and I wanted to kind of mix those two ideas. So you've got this awesome, I got this amazing band to give me the rights to their music to put all this like old Irish doom metal in it. And it's got like this heavy metal vibe in places. It's Pagan and, Altar, uh, right? Yeah, Pagan Altar. Yeah, I started listening. After like the fifth time I saw the, uh, your film, I was like, oh, this band's pretty sick. So I started, started playing them. They're, yeah, they're, they were like, I met him at a, a buddy of mine introduced me to him in Afghanistan. And then he was like, maybe you could use their music for the film when I started. And I was like, no way. And then I met him at a music festival in 2013 when I just started the film. And they were like, we lost a whole generation of old family in the trenches in World War One. You can use everything you want. And I was like, damn, like, when I got a little bit of recognition, that put some wind in my sails to keep going with the film. And I think the results, like with the music, is just, I mean, I think it's awesome. It communicates the tone that I wanted to, like, do metal. It's, like, both badass, but there's this blues to it. But um, 
I guess I wanted people to know that like, yeah, you know, this experience hurts and it can break you in some ways or, or shat, you know, harm you, but you're, that doesn't take away from the fact that you're a fucking badass. You know what I mean? Like that you, so that's, I don't know. I always thought of like one veterans day, I was real bummed out on Memorial day. And I, I was driving to Louisiana. I saw a science for a gas station. I had a tiger and I was like, man, I, I fucking love big cats. I'm going to check this tiger out. So we pull off the road and I've been feeling, you know, sad because it's Memorial day and think about my boys and, and, uh, pull off the road and get to this gas station and they got this beautiful, huge tiger, but it's in a, it's in like a 10, 10 by 10 foot cage. And people are throwing peanuts at it and shit and going like, look at the tiger, look at the tiger. And it's like, man, I just fantasized about opening that door up because I was like, oh, you're not going to throw peanuts at the tiger now. And that's, I felt like a really great metaphor for like veterans, how, how we feel when you come back, you're a tiger, but you're in this cage and you're no longer the king of the jungle. You can't kill your way out of a situation. You've got to bill your way out of a situation or whatever bullshit the civilian world kind of heaps on you. So it, that's one of the biggest themes that I want to explore in the film too, is how do you, like, how do you deal with going from a badass as at 19, 20 years old, that has the power of like God of like life and death and destruction and shit. And then you come home to like, nobody knows about what you went through. Nobody cares. Uh, and none of those skills are going to help you succeed in life. Uh, and in fact, now you've got a bunch of like, you know, probably trouble sleeping, PTSD, maybe drug and alcohol problem that you've got a, that are monkeys on your back as you're trying to figure out how to succeed too. So I wonder once Marine to kind of tap on all these feelings, like make things badass, but also have guys really like crying. I wanted to show that we hate civilians, but we also want them to understand us. I wanted to show those kind of, you know, those truths that were both black and white. Um, and that's what I think makes the transition so hard. And that's kind of why I wanted it. That's why I wanted those things to be in there is, you know, funerals and weddings and, um, you know, celebration of life. So, you know, missing people when they're gone. Uh, that's what makes the experience so hard is those kind of polarizing extremes and then finding a path somewhere in the middle that, you know, like my buddy gets out, one of my best friends and turns to heroin. It's like the worst fucking drug, dude. And we, you know, we saw piles up in Afghanistan and he knew he shouldn't be doing it, all this stuff, but he did it anyways. And this guy, when he was doing it, would, would be like, yeah, I'm going to pick up, you know, a bunch of dope. And then he'd call you like an hour later and be like, oh, hang on, the cops almost pulled me over for speeding. And you're like, why are you speeding and driving around with heroin in your car and talking on the phone? Like, pick what, one. <laughs> Just yeah, pick like one. Pick, pick one. My dad always said one dumb thing at a time. And uh, you're picking them all. And but it, it's like I can understand chasing that rush and the adrenaline and all this stuff. But it was about, you know. I don't know. It's like, how do you find a healthy outlet um, now that you're no longer the tiger anymore? Like, what do you do with your claws? Um, so that's what I really wanted to show. And that's, I kind of walked a fine line because earlier cuts were about like, you know, showing the audience the difference between like guys that go deploy to fight and guys that deploy and don't do shit. This, because I thought this stuff was important. And I realized like, why do I need to, Put other people down in this film when i'm really trying to let guys out there that see this know hey man if you're feeling this way you're not alone i want to bring people up and let them know hey if you're thinking about shooting yourself maybe you should call your boys because they're feeling the same way you are instead of like this kind of i don't know 
because when I got back, you know, I, I kind of lost control of my emotions. I found myself like crying at the end of Toy Story and shit. And I'd never been like that. And I was like, all of a sudden, like, they're just good friends. And I couldn't understand what the fuck was going on with me. But I didn't want to tell anybody and be like, hey, dude, do you cry at, uh, you cry at the end of Toy Story? Like, you, I wasn't going to have those conversations. So when I, as I was making Once Marine, I, I was like, I want this to stand in for those conversations. Let every dude, no matter whether you got a drug problem, an alcohol problem, suicide problem, family problems, civilian problems, whatever it is, I want you to know that all your boys are going through it. It's not just you and that you have support if you look for it and that you can talk about it too. It's not something you have to hide. And once you can start talking about your problems, then you can move forward. So it was a fine balance between making that we're badass, but also peeling back the curtain and we're sad and hurt and crying, but also showing like, hey, you're not going to pity us. It was a, that was kind of the tight, tight rope that I was always walking. And I think, I mean, I, it took seven years. So I think it, I, every piece in that film has been polished and refined and refined and refined and refined and refined. Ad nauseum, everyone kept saying, are you going to finish this thing, man? And, and I was like, it's not ready. And when I finally released it, I think I achieved it, that goal that I set out with. You know, it was like, you know, kind of show the complexity. So, well, you mentioned that like you hopefully want your film to uh, just start uh, just start conversations. And I think there's one scene in the, in the film that kind of struck me was when the uh, the mother of one of your friends who had passed in the car accident um, uh, talks about how essentially she obviously wants to help, but she was never there. She doesn't know what the experiences are like. She doesn't know what the uh, the internal struggle looks like. But we're it's, it feels like she was almost like helpless. There's no there's no to go to go to guide on how to uh, solve these issues or how to address these issues. It's pretty much just every every case is different. How how should civilians help you know continue that conversation you want to open about uh, veterans' experiences in like a helpful beneficial way, so that that discussion can actually happen and that you know we can find ways to help you. Because I feel like, I mean, especially someone such as myself who's not been there uh, and know, but knows tons of people who have been in the military and serve in different capacities, uh, is this, it's just an awkward, obviously it's awkward for us. We, we don't know yeah. how, what to say, what's appropriate. We want to be yeah. obviously friendly and candid, but you know, in, in many of the situations, we obviously can, can step over the lines in, in a poor way. How should, how should someone such as myself or a family member of a service member or friend, how, how, how should, what? What is our role in that conversation? What what's like the I guess the, the the what should we do? What should we not do in that situation? Oh, that's tough because I feel like I've got very loving and supportive uh, parents, but you know, even sometimes my dad like would be trying his best, especially earlier on, and, and be trying to understand, and I would like snap at him for something, you know, because something that rubbed me the wrong way, but I couldn't articulate that. And it was like, here's this guy that was trying his best to understand. I guess for me, I would say the biggest thing is like, get out of the way of whoever you want to have, whoever's, like you'll see it if you're hanging around like these guys, like maybe one night they have a little bit too much to drink and they'll be like, when I was in Afghanistan, out of nowhere. And it's like, all right, now's the time to listen. You know, a lot of times, like when you talk about it, a buddy of mine touches on it in the film and it's so true is, as soon as you talk about it, people, they go, my cousin was also like, they want to, they want to participate in the discussion instead of just listen, you know, and maybe realizing that 
participating in the discussion is asking a couple questions and but listening but you have a lot of people just like i'd say people on the street that just like want to they feel a little threatened so they've got to kind of revalidate themselves by talking about their experience um now for friends and family like people that you love i i came back from marja and i had a girlfriend that i dated for like two or three years and said man i, I want to talk about this stuff and she i thought i heard i'm not ready yet she to this day swears that she didn't say that, but that destroyed our relationship. That was the end. I was like, you don't want to hear what I went through. I was like, fuck you, you know, like, and so that's, I would say like getting out of the way, like wanting to listen. Um, and kind of just acknowledging that you can't understand, but you want to try. Um, can really help allow people to have the conversation. Um, like my girlfriend now is great, and I think she knows more about what I went through than pretty much anyone I've ever dated because, you know, sometimes I'll get on a rant, as this podcast is evidence of, and yeah. uh, she just like, she just shuts the fuck up and listen, but she retains it. And then she'll sometime later be like, hey, is this so-and-so that you mentioned? And I'm like, man, I feel kind of understood because I feel like she's hearing what I'm saying when I do choose to say it. And it might be once every, you know, every couple months that I'll do like, you know, during the fall of Afghanistan, obviously, you know, I was pissed and angry. I mean, you know, just a lot of emotions going on, but she listened, which helped me kind of explain how I was feeling a lot more. But uh, I would say that if, if you want to know, then you'll give people the kind of space to talk about their thing without interjecting your own ego or your own politics. I've had a lot of people say, well, how could you fight in Bush's war? And it's like, dude, aren't you fucking listening to me? It has nothing to do with that. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like when someone that's been through that experience or any really traumatic experience finally opens up and they say, hey, this happened to me when I was younger, you don't start being like, well, I almost got molested. You know, it's like nobody wants, you know what I mean? You just need to shut exactly. the fuck up and listen, right? And the more you do that and the more that that person feels like they can uh, not just talk and not be judged, but they can also be heard. That's the biggest thing. I had a conversation with a guy one time. He was an ambassador's son. He grew up in Kabul. And I thought, man, this is cool. So we started talking about Afghanistan stuff at dinner. I thought, man, this is kind of cool. I've never really had a conversation like that with a, a civilian. And I found out it was like a friend of a girlfriend at the time's family. I, I found out like two weeks later, she's like, what if those those say you're going to try and import guns and missiles from Afghanistan? And I was like, what the fuck? It was like this guy hadn't heard a thing I said and just then went on to like use what I was saying to talk. I don't know. Like it, it felt like it, that's and that's I think a lot of guys biggest fears is like not only are you not going to listen, and not understand so why should i try but then it's also going to be used maybe against me or you know like these are your vulnerabilities these things that you're trying to work out like you know um some of the things that happened over there you're going to be thinking about or wondering about for the rest of your life and as you're at a certain place like i might feel some a way about something for two years and then on the third and fourth year start to feel different but if someone that i don't know you're dating or your family is going 
well, I thought you said you were cool with it. And you're like, you know what I mean? I don't know. Just give them the space to open up and show, you know, a, a genuine interest. And when it happens, just let your, your ego and your desire to talk get out of the way, which is hard for me. Um, and like, once they open up like that once, and it doesn't come back to bite them in the ass. And, and then they feel like you're listening and learn maybe some names or this, that, and the other. Um, then maybe, you know, they'll start to talk a little bit more. And, and then tell them, hey, I kind of right. want to know what you went through. Um, not maybe, I mean, like, you guys are all kind of historians over there. So, like, maybe from an archivist point of view, you know, like, I want to know what you went through, like my grandfather. I don't want to, that story would have been lost if somebody hadn't told me at a funeral, and I would have never understood. My granddad was crazy as a fucking bat. Sometimes, I mean, we were six and five years old. He gave my brother and I he threw gasoline all over a hornet's nest and gave my brother and I matches and had us throwing matches at it on the side of his chicken coop. And now that behavior makes a lot more sense. And he's cackling the whole time. <laughs> oh, get it, boy! And you're like, what's going on? But now you see, like, oh, I understand where that sense of humor comes from because. We're not running for our lives under, you know, behind enemy lines. So it's not that big of a deal. So I now I understand why it gave us, you know, fireworks and matches and gasoline and knives and all you, you get it. So it's like, if someone really wants to understand their loved one, give them the space to talk, let them know that you want to want to hear and listen. And, uh, you know, realize that sometimes you don't, when somebody's telling you a war story about blowing away some dude in the Taliban about to set up an IED and you don't have anything to say to that, that's okay. You know, you don't have to say anything. Well, it's playing Call of Duty. It's like people always want to understand. But I've realized after going through that experience on my own, I, I got to have a lot of really awesome conversations with people all over the world because they'll come up and say some crazy shit. And instead of me, like I ended up talking to this guy in New Orleans that had been stood over, which apparently is like when you stand over someone with a pistol and empty it into him. He's like, you ever been shot 16 times, man? I was like, no, I have not. And I'm grateful for that. But because I was willing to listen, he ended up talking to me for like an hour about it. And you could tell that this guy doesn't get to talk to people about this. And he said something was stuck with me for the rest of my life. He's like, because so many of my organs are destroyed, my family doesn't think that I have the capacity to hear things that they know will upset me. They think my body doesn't have the physical capacity to handle emotion anymore. And be, just because I was willing to listen and didn't want to like, well, I almost go shit. Like, you know, when someone's talking through some shit that they've been through, let them. And I think then they'll be way more willing to open up and it, it really helps them. Because if you're at that point where you need to talk, like a lot of times this shit just comes out of nowhere for me, then all you need to do is be heard. So that's my yeah. advice. Do you feel like it's um, like generally speaking across that like most people want to talk about it in some way, shape, and form, but there's just like, there's like hardly ever like an appropriate forum for it? Because I think you mentioned also in your documentary that like like you know, substance usage and talking about events uh, such as yours like go hand in hand. So do you feel like that there, that there's like a stigma against talking about it or? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. Um... Not only is it hard for you to talk about in the first place, I'm like, you know, I go to some parties and stuff. And um, when I moved out here in New Mexico, 
I didn't really kind of get along with my age bracket here in Santa Fe. So I started hanging out at the film school and helping these students on their projects. And I was like five years older than them, but I got along with them really well. Um, but there'd be some nights I remember waking up one morning and everyone's looking at me and I'm sleeping on this couch. I wake up, everyone's staring at me. Are you okay, buddy? And I was like, uh, did a war come up last night? And they're like, a little bit. Yeah. You know? And I felt they were all really awesome people. And, but I felt really ashamed. Like, damn, I didn't, I don't really want to talk about this normally. And then have a bunch of like 20 something year olds hearing me freaking out, having some kind of, you know, crazy moment at a party. I was like, oh, you feel really embarrassed. So it's already hard to talk about with people. And then you'll run into some people you're, you'll open up some people that maybe aren't the right people. And then you'll be like, oh shit, I really shouldn't talk about this stuff. And, uh, but I think, and, and guys are different. Some of them that I know have never told their family anything. And you're like, man, I don't, I don't understand. Because it's, it's part of knowing me is about knowing a little bit about this experience. But other guys like me, you know, fucking make films about it and go on podcasts about it. So, you know, for me, I think there's a desire to be understood. Because, um, you know, I do want people to understand that, hey, you can't just pity us, you know, um, we're, we're still tigers. Um, but on the other hand, you know, you kind of want people to know like, Hey man, maybe if you kind of understood the cost of this beyond just people getting killed and wounded, maybe hurt for life or whatever, um, then you wouldn't be so negligent about a war going on for 20 years, kind of, and forgetting about it. I don't know. I mean, Everybody's different, but if you were somebody that doesn't really want to, you doesn't talk about it that often, as long as you just like kind of let them know, hey, I'd like to know a little bit about your experience. And that's it. When people push me to talk, I'm like, hey, shut the fuck up. It's not your story to tell. Um, but yeah, every guy's different. But I feel like if, if you want to know and you kind of ask with that intention, Hey, I love you as my dad or my brother or my husband or whatever the fuck. And I want to know a little bit about you and your experience. People will open up a little bit. Um, but it, it's, it's very, it's very hard. It's a lot easier just to kind of carry that Marine Corps style. Just like shut the fuck up, put your pack on and keep hiking. Then it is. It's, it's the same. Hiking is a good metaphor because as soon as you started to think about how much your feet hurt, it became almost unbearable. But if you just kept walking and didn't think about it, you could still keep going and accomplish the mission. But a lot of guys are stuck in that mentality for 20 years after they come home from a war. And, uh, you know, they maybe don't know how to, to step out of that. So everybody's different. But, you know, if you listen with compassion, then I feel like people will talk a little bit, you know. So. Um, I don't know. And it's, you know, it's part of being man and part of like, you know, tradition here too, that, you know, I mean, everybody says world war two. I once asked my dad, I was really struggling a couple of years when I came home and I asked my dad, I said, man, how come I'm so bothered by this and hurt by it? But people like granddad, like the world war two guys, it didn't bother them at all. Like they could just come right back home and, and, and get right back to work and shit like that. And my dad's like, that's what you think, because that's what they want you to think, or that's that's the history gilding itself. 
He's like, son, they came home and they beat their wives and they drank. And they, you know, they had the same exact problems you did, except nobody talked about it. And he's like, it might have even been, he's like, it was kind of unhealthier. I mean, I, I know my granddad was a great guy, but I also know that he could, you know, as my dad used to say, ball him up in a corner. And, uh, you know, and he didn't drink and smoke and, and, you know, but it was like, yeah, there were different ways of dealing with your problems back then. And nowadays, like, you don't come home and beat your wife regularly. And my granddad didn't do that, but I'm just using that example. Well, you don't come home and beat your wife nowadays, and she just, everything goes on. So you've got to kind of deal with this shit in a healthier way. And I think that's, people are moving towards that. Um, there's an over-talking uh, trend going on where everybody's got to talk, oh, I have anxiety and PTSD. And it's like, dude, everybody's got fucking issues. Like, shut the fuck up and move on. But there is a sweet spot between shut the fuck up and move on and talking too goddamn much between being like, hey, I'm going to be honest with myself and people around me, and I'm going to move on, but I'm also going to look for healthier ways. Like for me, I did a lot of drugs and drinking, and I had to find healthier ways of dealing with shit than drinking these problems away because it, did, it just didn't work. And that's kind of the journey is, you know, learning to be honest with yourself, open up, but keep moving, ultimately keep moving on to deal with things and, and, and to come home, you know, and, and find peace. So. It's a journey. So would you recommend uh, this film? Because, I mean, you get a, a great glimpse of, you know, what oh, war is like a little bit during it. But it's obviously prim primarily focused on the after effects. Would you recommend this uh, to, you know, this, to, this your film to someone who either just recently joined the Marine Corps or, or any, other, other, uh, any of the other services or someone who's like interested in maybe looking into this? Yeah, I mean, for people joining, I remember my brother was like coming into the Marine Corps as I was going out. And his first deployment, we went, I had gotten out and we went to see him off. And he's got this shit eating grin on his face as he's going to get on the bus to go to Afghanistan. And I remember my mom being like, hey, you need to say something to him. Like, he, he doesn't know what he's getting into. He's grinning and all this stuff. Like, do something. And I was like, there's nothing you can do because they're not going to hear it. You could watch all the once Marines in the world. I, the first, the thing that motivated me, the tipping point for me was reading Generation Kill and being like, I'm gonna do that. And so those guys that are like, especially new and all stuff, I don't think they can be dissuaded and they might, it might not click with them in the same way. Cause you know, especially when you join, you're young and teenage and invincible and all this stuff. Um, and, and I know as a Marine infantryman, you wanna go and fight. Even if all these guys are saying, hey, it'll fuck you up, you lose friends, this, that, and the other. You don't give a shit about any of that. You just want to get into the fight. So it might not click with them beforehand. Um, because you can't truly understand what you're getting into. Um, which, But I think for anybody, sure, that's interested in it, maybe from an angle adjoining, sure, but definitely when they come home and for anybody's family that wants to understand a loved one a little bit better, I kind of saw the film as a shorthand for a conversation, like somebody to watch with their wife and be like, hey, you know, the, I had somebody's, somebody's wife told me in an hour, I learned more about what my husband went through than in the seven years he's been home. And that to me was the highest praise. It was like, cool. He didn't have to tell you. Or maybe it started a conversation, but the fact that you, you've already shown him that you want to understand. And she's like, yeah, I asked him afterwards, like as soon as the credits were rolling, I was like, did you go through anything like that? 
and and he was one of my senior guys and he's like yeah i trained those guys and i i mean i went through all that stuff and uh i think guys that are you know young dumb and full of cum as they say are like they're just gonna be that way and that's why you know my my older brother that wasn't rain is saying yeah you know that's that's how they trick guys into going to war and all stuff and i was like dude they don't really need to trick you that hard you, you know what i mean at 17 you're like come on let's fuck somebody up dude what's up you know like you're football wrestling wrestling going to the marine corps it's all kind of hand in hand with that um so i don't think it'll talk anybody out of the decision that's good when my little brother came down everybody said don't join don't join and and he says if you could go back and not do it would you would you and everybody said, well, no, I'd, I'd do it the same way. And he says, well, there you go. Everybody's told me this weekend not to join. But he says, nobody said they would go back and change change joining if they could. He's like, that's what I want. So people like that. My brother came home, came down for a weekend, went to a Marine Corps party, got punched in the eye the hardest he's ever been hit in his life, got more hungover than he'd ever been in his life, spent the whole next day laying in my bed at the barracks, goes home to my mom. He's got this huge black eye and reeks of alcohol. And she says, what the hell happened to you? He goes, Mom, I'm joining the Marine Corps. It's like nothing could dissuade him. You know, you so. should uh, turn that into a recruitment story. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, so, and and he he actually had a more illustrious Marine Corps career than I did. You know, went become an AMGLOG instructor. And now he's an Apache helicopter pilot, and um, which is an interesting thing because he's still in. So he's still in that kind of carrier pack mentality. You know. Sometimes we'll have discussions and he's like, I don't really feel like it affects me that much. And I'm like, well, that's because you can't let it affect you. You know, you're still in that mode, you know. Um, so it's kind of cool to see like, you know, the, the former Marine turned like, as he always says, hippie filmmaker. Um, <laughs> and, and then, you know, an Apache pilot machine gun instructor kind of talking about these things. But uh, yeah, once Marine's not going to dissuade anyone, they're just going to see the 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 eight minutes of combat footage you'd be like dude that's sick bro and uh it is it's awesome combat footage that was all filmed by the guys in in, in our unit and uh i don't know they're just they're not going to pick up on the other themes until you know they come back so but once they're back hey man you know i'll keep it on amazon prime i don't make any i don't really make any money off it but i i i'll be in debt for once marine for a long time but it's always gonna be worth making it because i think it's the most honest depiction of going to war, but it's more focused on coming home. So I says most honest depiction on coming home from war that I've seen as of yet. So, um, yeah, it's just for anybody that wants to understand that experience. And uh, I had a guy hit me up the other day and say, hey man, great film. And I said, you watching it now or are you just finishing? He goes, oh, I'm just starting it. I was a Marine myself and all this stuff. And I was just like, buckle up, you know, because he didn't realize like how how real it's going to be. He thought it was just going to be like, cool, look at the guns and the combat and all this stuff. And then he hit me up like two or three days later. And he was like, hey, man, uh, I really had to think about shit after uh, the film. Sorry, I didn't hear you up earlier. And I was like, well, you know, that's kind of the point. But uh, I mean, I, creatively, that I mean, it, it works brilliantly. I mean, you, you suck the people in with, you know, the the introduction and, and, the, and then it just it goes completely the the direction you don't think it's going to it's going to go um so you, i guess you mentioned like how how do you feel the uh, general feedback has been so far just general feedback has been insanely good i mean i was really like i said mentioned earlier 
hard for me to talk about and share and this, that, and the other. Um, and I was kind of really worried about getting the wrong reception, but everyone that's seen it, um, I mean, it has 4.9 stars and 190 reviews on Amazon, uh, 8.4 on IMDb. You'll get a couple, you know, idiots out there. This is why, you know, like just totally miss the point of the entire film. Somebody said, no, my core to people drink and do drugs. And I'm like, well, yeah, sure. Um, maybe not the drugs, but I remember being a binge drinker in the core. And uh, it, I don't know. It's like you missed the whole point. You're not listening to these guys, but almost everybody gets it. I did a screening here when it was still a work in progress. And the, I mentioned in the paper and they gave me the front page for the Memorial Day. And just had a free screening. I rented a movie theater and people said, hey, it's open to the public. And we almost had a full theater and I had these Vietnam guys and stuff being like, thanks for telling our story. And that really hit me because I didn't think about it that way, but you know, they were saying like, this is the most honest depiction of, you know, what it, that experience is like. And it, that's why I kind of kept all the dates and stuff out of it. I wanted to stand for not just like, look at one six, they go this date. And if you didn't go on this date in this unit, it doesn't, it's not relevant. It's for anyone that's like been to combat, but um, yeah, it was just, I think that's all that really matters to me is that the guys that need to see it are, and um, one of my brother's buddies is uh, also an Apache pilot, former Marine says, hey, one of, my, uh, one of the guys from my old unit in the Marine Corps just hit me up and, and sent me the link to the film. And he doesn't know that, like, you know, I'm, I'm real close to your brother and stuff. But he's like, I think it's cool that it's coming f full circle. And I had a guy from SOCOM telling me, hey, like, the guys at SOCOM are watching this now. And I was like, for real? You know, like, there's something to be gleaned from us knuckle draggers eating crayons in the Marine Corps. Um, so the audience that it's people that need to see it are finding it, which is awesome. Which is why I put it on Amazon. Uh, YouTube wanted to put commercials in it. And I'd be damned if they're going to put a commercial in the middle of a funeral for one of my boys. So I put it on Amazon, hoping that you get an Xbox, PlayStation, hell, even a Nintendo Switch, you could find it. And it seems like people are. So uh, this podcast would be awesome because it'll help more guys hear about it. Um, but that's my point at this point is just, hey, I want guys out there maybe suffering in si silence to know like you're not alone. You'll get through this shit. Um, and it's it totally normal and expected to, to, to go through this. Um, and who knows, a hundred years from now when America's in a you know, war with space China or something, I don't know, like <laughs> I want those guys to come home and, uh, see, okay, this is, this is part of the, part of the experiences. You don't just leave the, the, your bags back in Camp Lejeune. So it's fine in the audience. I like it. Fair enough. Um, so, uh, when I last spoke to you, uh, I think that was like a spring. And then since uh, you mentioned in the beginning of your documentary that, uh, you know, this is currently the ongoing, the longest war in American history in Afghanistan, and it's since concluded. How would you, would you, is, with, the, with the conclusion of the war, is there anything in the film you'd like to change in retrospect? Or do you feel like it's perfect because it, it fits, you know, the, 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 uh, the environment of the era in which it was produced? Or... Or as a whole, I mean, after after it's it's been out for years. Anything that you wish you had done differently, or added, or included? No, I mean, for that film, I think it's it's good because it doesn't get too much into the politics of the situation and and the you know that 
history or any of that stuff because it's more it's like totally focused on just the emotional experience which is great when afghanistan fell for sure i you know i immediately started dreaming up another film um because afghanistan's always been a shit show and we've seen the pentagon papers like you know leadership didn't know by what metric to measure success and all these things but when afghanistan fell it became like official yeah there it's over and the taliban won in the sense that they took the land back now i'm not calling taliban winners because they're fucking losers and they're just going to turn that place back into the stone age but that's what hurts my heart is like man i truly believed at the end of the day maybe not in the mission so much but i believe that the marines on the street were good people, selfless people that believed in helping people, that believed in making the world a better place. Um, and the Taliban dude throwing acid in somebody's face to go to school, I don't think they're in the same level. So at the end of the day, that was my takeaway. It's like, hey, we're the good guys. If only the, that we cared enough about some place we'd never heard of or been to. You know, I really thought that we had an opportunity to make things a little bit better there and some metrics we did but when we when it fell to the taliban it became official it was like god damn it dude we it's over and uh that i feel like it's its own film you know in and of itself uh you know the whole rescue efforts for in interpreters we, we were able to actually get one of our interpreters out um out of marja or one of our interpreters from marja we were able to help get out 10 years later which is amazing now um, i'm gonna go see him here in the next couple of weeks um but it's like those small victories you know that we have to take away when it, it's like i don't know I, I think that any other film about afghanistan would be something totally different because once marine is more just about any war and and uh you know it's iraq guys vietnam guys it, it's not about the politics of that specific situation, but as far as the politics of the specific situation that I served in, yeah, like <laughs> I'd like to look at it in the future in a film, but as of right now, I spent seven years on the Once a Marine. You know, I was always, when I made the film or was making the film, I was like, well, I used to be a Marine and I'm tired of telling people that I used to be a Marine. I want to have something else to tell people. Um, and I always thought when I finish the film, like then I'll be a filmmaker. And I am, uh, and that's what I want to do. But now I'm looking at projects kind of moving away from it because if it's another seven years, it'd be 14 years and I'll only made two films. You know, it's just, it's just, there's still a lot of wounds there. And I think that's the way it'll be. There's going to be scar tissue and shit, which is fine. Like, you know, I'm moving on, but I want to move on and I want to keep dwelling on Afghanistan and shit. And, uh, you know, I do think our politicians could have led a better, they could have devised a better mission. And I think the Afghan people, to a certain extent, could have participated a little bit more. Um, but I think we also could have sold them more. And uh, I don't know. It just, it really, really just pissed me the fuck off. There's no other way to put it. Like the whole thing. And I just want to kind of walk away from that for a little while. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll revisit it later. But uh, yeah, as far as me and the war for a while, I'm, I'm good. I've got other battles to fight. <laughs> so. oh.
Fair enough. So, I mean, you're going to go from, I mean, you know, doing an immensely personal project to, especially with regards to your own personal life. So where, 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 where does, uh, where does Stephen Canty filmmaker go from here? I don't know. I'd like to make some narrative films. Um, I'm out in the West. I'm, I'm getting into like Western shit. I got a cowboy hat the other day, ride nice. horses and uh, cowboy action shooting. And I'm, I'm look, working on writing a kind of low budget Western and I've got a bunch of other stories that I'm writing and, I kind of want to shift uh, from documentary work to narrative work and writing stories and, and getting those made. And uh, that's what I'm interested in. And, you know, that's another uphill battle. It's like once rain, it's like I didn't know what I was doing. I had to learn the hard way. And this is a kind of another learn the hard way type thing. But, uh, yeah, I, I just want to keep telling stories. And uh, after being a Marine, making a film, it's hard. I, I can't see myself going back to a nine to five or anything and just being like, well, yeah, I went and fought in two wars and I made a film about it. Now I am a overnight warehouse manager again, you know? So yeah, I gotta, I'm just gonna start writing and uh, hopefully find some success there or keep pushing until I do. Good works. Well, awesome. Well, uh, thanks again for, uh, coming on and doing another, uh, another interview. For um, for our listeners out there, uh, in the December issue of the Marine Corps Gazette, there is a uh, interview uh, written that uh, Kenny and I did a few months ago. So uh, feel free to check that out. And then uh, again, uh, watch Once Marine, Amazon Prime. Uh, recommend it to all your friends and their friends of friends. And uh, and really, uh, really take the lessons to heart. Well, uh, Stephen, again, thank you very much. Yeah, and uh, leave a review um, oh. if you liked it. Leave a review, that'll help uh, immensely. Thanks for having me, and I really appreciate uh, talking with you today. Take it easy, man. Peace. Scuttlebutt is a production of the Marine Corps Association. I am Nick Wilson. That is Major Vic Rubel, U.S. Marine Corps retired. We have also heard the voices of or contributions from William Truding or Nancy Lichman, editors of Gazette and Leatherneck Magazines, respectively. Opinions expressed in Scuttlebutt are just that, opinions, and do not represent any official stance of the MCA.